a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. Just love talking with you every Sunday evening. I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show and to tonight's first five. Well, football season is in uh, high gear. It's rolling. It's just gotten started. And I want to talk this year about this fall football season and what is happening in the NFL and the controversy over some players refusing to stand up to honor the national anthem. And it really took hold just today over this weekend. We had it was uh, recounted on uh, in the Internet a little later in the afternoon that it was about 100 players at least refused to stand for the national anthem at the start of the NFL games. And it's not just in fact, it's not really a sports issue at all. It's a political issue. And that's why I want to talk about it, because it's not just political. It's kind of cultural. And it's a it's a very unfortunate example of the challenge we face in America and trying to um, trying to be a better and better country all the time. So Colin Kaepernick obviously started this whole thing last year, decided he was not going to stand for the national anthem. But the consequence, let me just tell you a few things that have been the consequence of that. People are turning off the NFL um, on television and they are not showing up to games. Many shows, many um, pictures were shown on the Internet and on television of have half empty stadiums. Here's just one stat to keep in mind. Last weekend at the Coliseum, the this is a college game that I'm talking about, the Coliseum. It was the USC team versus uh, University of Texas and at that game, the Coliseum holds a little over 93,000 people. At that game for USC versus Texas, they had over 84,000 fans in attendance, pretty much in a stadium that size, you know, pretty darn full. The same weekend, there was the now L.A. Chargers, because they left San Diego, the L.A. Chargers and Miami Dolphins playing in their temporary stadium at StubHub Center, they could not even sell out a stadium of 27,000. The Rams and Redskins game also play at the Coliseum, had only 56,000 people in attendance. That means, and I'm not great with math, but this is simple, the USC Trojans and UT game had more fans show up last weekend than the combination of the Chargers and the Rams games. This is a statistic the NFL cannot deny, or anyone else cannot deny. But, you know, the fans are trying to tell the NFL, we do not like this disrespect of America. We do not want you to humor this. We don't want to humor it as Americans. There's a poll also done this weekend I wanted to share with you on the same subject, which was essentially asking a total of 9,200 people about why they aren't either tuning in on television or going to the games. Because one argument of the American left is, well, it's because Colin Kaepernick now doesn't have a team. Nobody signed him. It's not fair. And the fans are protesting the racism of the NFL. That's exactly the opposite of what's true. Here's the poll, the answer from the poll of 9,200 people. Of that large group, the biggest answer, the biggest single answer given by 26% of people said, because of the national anthem protests, people are turning away from the NFL because of the protest. They don't like seeing America disrespected. 
uh, 24%, the next biggest number, talk about off-field issues, don't like domestic violence. Some of them talk about game delays, too many penalties. And the third category, 20%, excessive commercials and advertising. And I raise all that to say this. This is an example of the NFL and uh, many of the owners of the teams, many of the coaches, being completely tone deaf to what the American people feel. I'm going to say this just straight out. Most Americans of every background and, and, and really just, just every group of Americans you in any way you can divide them up love this country and they want fairness. They want people treated fairly. They do not want to have police picking on any group of people. They do not wish to have uh, racial unfairness. They don't like racism, but they do love America. And if the NFL and these players wanted to actually engage the American people, it ought to be by uh, agreeing that the most unifying thing we have in this country is not football, like some of the NFL people said. It's the flag. It's the country. It is the flag and the country that unify America, not NFL, even though NFL is a great source. I'll tell you the NFL players' reactions, because this is another whole piece of this. The NFL players' reaction, number one— there was a petition sent, signed by a bunch of players, sent to uh, Roger Goodell, the, um, the NFL guy, saying essentially, just like we have October for breast cancer awareness, they want November to be social justice and social activism awareness month. So the whole month, the entire NFL is going to be getting in America's face. And then the other other reaction the players was they had their first, the, the players union met to vote for the MVP of the week. After this first uh, week of football, they chose Colin Kaepernick, who isn't even playing. And so I raise all this to say there actually are important political points to make out of this. And I want to be sure and share them with you. Number one is these young men playing this sport are making millions of dollars. They're not doing themselves a great service because how their protest is heard by America is disrespect for you and an accusation of the whole country, an accusation against the whole of America. And most people's reaction is, no, that's not true of me, and I don't want, and and don't call me that. Don't accuse me. We come back from the break. More on the NFL. Don't go away. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Can you hear us now? And welcome back to American Can We Talk. I did my first five tonight on the NFL protests and the players refusing to stand for the national anthem. I didn't get to say a couple of points I really want to say. This is very similar to the battle we are the ongoing um, episode in America with Black Lives Matter, with the removal of monuments. It is not a conversation where we listen to each other. It is not a um, it is not a coming together to unify to understand each other. And this is why it is a this is why Black Lives Matter has managed to alienate most of America. Because I think almost everyone American would agree that, yes, there have been some instances of police using excessive force 
and police engaging in behavior that was in some degree or some way of, um, the outcome of racial bias, of, of racism. I don't think anyone's claiming the police department's perfect. I don't even think anyone's claiming America's perfect. And I don't think anyone's claiming that, um, you know, there's just, that we, we have no corrections to be made. The problem with what is happening in the NFL, these are players earning more money in a single year than most people earn in a lifetime. And those people are able to to earn in the millions and millions by playing. And people who buy those tickets work very hard, often spend more than they should in their given their family's budget to buy season tickets or even to buy individual game tickets. So this this protest is not sitting well with the broad swath of America. It is it is um, it is making the it is just like with Black Lives Matter. It makes people feel like that every single American who is not black is being accused of racism. This has been the message of the Black Lives Matter movement and why it has has, you know, it, it may have started out in protest in particular incidents where they needed to be an investigation of, of the conduct of police. But because it has broadened into a, an angry movement accusing everyone who isn't black of being a bad person, or this is how it's seen by the rest of America. Same with this NFL protest. People who serve this country, who lost family members serving this country, who love our flag, who love our country. If this protest, if these NFL players think they're getting the attention of the American people, that they, they want... They're saying, look at us, listen to what we're saying. We disrespect our flag, which means we disrespect America. We can't find one good thing to say about America. We can't appreciate the greatness of this country. This, and then they do all that and they say, okay, and now listen to what we have to say about social justice. This is a non-starter protest. This will not do anything positive for America. And, I, and there are people of all backgrounds who are concerned about, you know, the interaction between police and citizens and who would support the idea that we have to be very careful to look at each situation and be sure we're doing all we can to, to have effective policing and to have effective protection of our citizens. I mean... This just in, and I, the last point I make on this this NFL thing because it's going to go on all season. And we're probably going to have November Social Justice Awareness Month, which will again infuriate so many Americans because what that sounds like to people hearing it is you are accusing this whole country of being intolerant, racist, and all sorts of other bad things, and then saying and listen to us, we'll tell you how to fix it. It, it, it couldn't be a worse movement if, you're, if the goal is to get a, an honest-to-goodness national conversation about the idea of unifying and understanding each other's concerns. It, it's a disaster for the NFL, and I, I'm very sorry it's gotten started because I don't see how it ends. And now we have players who last year stood and, and put their hand over their heart for the national anthem, and now they're joining the process on their knees. And I just it is dividing America, and it, it cannot have a good outcome because people are— I mean, there's already enough racial tension in this country without the idea that the, you know, the NFL, the thing that a lot of Americans just love to do and they they wait for football season to start and they can't wait to do their tailgate parties. They can't wait to do their friends over the house and turn on the TV and and, you know, warm up the barbecue and sit back and watch sports. It is and it's really going to harm the NFL in ways that it's, just, it's really sad for everyone in America. And I do think a lot of these young men in the NFL is my last point in this story, and then I get on to something else. But I'm so bothered by this. I want to be sure and talk with you about it tonight. There are people in politics in America who greatly benefit from racial division in this country. 
the Democrat Party has worked for decades to be sure that they have divided America into hyphenated groups, instilled a sense of, of distrust and suspicion and anger and resentment in the hearts of Americans. And this movement, this whole, you know, let's, you know, protest America, this is consistent with the left wing view of the Democrat Party on so many issues. It is an anti-American, I won't agree America's a good country, which is pretty much the message you get from Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Bernie Sanders, the whole lot of them in the American left cannot agree that America is at its core a good and great and decent country. And when these players will not honor the national anthem, they will not stand for it and listen and put their hand over their heart and, and go along with the national anthem tradition what they're saying is they bought into left-wing America's view this is a terrible, awful country, and this is not flying with the American people. It's not flying with the people who buy tickets to the games. So I, you know, I just I, I think it's a very sad thing because most Americans want very much for America to be the best and greatest country it can be, and uh, this is taking us in the opposite direction. It's really a tragedy. Okay, I'm going to turn. I did want to fit in. I'll tell you quickly, we have a guest coming up at 6.30, and uh This is a woman who was on our show, I think, like two and a half years ago. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I think so. Two years ago. And she's joining us again tonight. A lot's happened in her life since then. But the woman who's joining us uh, at 630 is is Dr. Carol Swain. And I'm going to tell you her life story, which is she was a uh, she grew up in a very poor family. She's African-American. She grew up in a very poor family. in an era where she was the second of 12 children, um, this was in uh, Virginia. I, I think it's in Appalachia, the area, but it's in Virginia. She um, was so poor growing up that she couldn't go to school in the winter because she often didn't have shoes. Second of 12 kids. Mom had a, Dad had a third grade education. Mom dropped out in high school. You know, the kind of whole just in, in, intense poverty most of us cannot envision so Dr. Carol Swain um, had that life growing up. She dropped out of high school. She had a lot of the adventures that happened to people, episodes that happen when you don't have family structure to teach you and inspire you and encourage you and mold you. So she dropped out of school. She got married very young. She had a couple of kids, um, ended up getting divorced. And um, she found a job, had a part-time job, and she decided to attend classes at a junior college. So she attended classes at Virginia Western Community College. She got an associate's degree. And what she learned in that time is she's actually a good student and a smart person. So she finished her, her um, associate's degree, went on to graduate magna cum laude with it for a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Roanoke College. Then she got a master's degree in political science from Virginia Tech. And she got a law degree from Yale Law School. So that beginning to this life, she ended up, um, she's written numerous books. She was a professor at Vanderbilt, and she was teaching both law and political science. She was on this show several years ago when she had written a a very, what turned out to be controversial um, letter or column in the local newspaper in Tennessee, essentially saying, Given what's happening in Western Europe, I think we should be a little more careful about the refugees coming to America and be sure they're not coming here to hurt us, you know, which might sound logical to you. But this is what caused there was a huge uproar at Vanderbilt. And just to get the picture, these spoiled, you know, parents pay for your college, wealthy white children attending Vanderbilt, a, a prestigious college 
taking classes from a woman with her background, and they, those students, demand that she take racial sensitivity training. I'm not kidding. So, big uproar. Since that time, she has, she's, she's written several books, she's an activist, and she's going to talk with us about her views about, first of all, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which we've mentioned on this show before. The Southern Poverty Law Center has a hate group list, has a hate map. It dedicates itself to allegedly uncovering hate. What it really does is paint with a broad brush with evil just just nasty, evil, um, you know, uh, modus operandi, any organization, any person who does not salute to the left-wing view on anything gets, made, gets added to their hate list, gets added to their group of hate groups. Their list of hate groups gets smeared by them. And so uh, Dr. Carol Swain managed to get sideways with the Southern Poverty Law Center. So that's one thing she's going to talk about. We'll talk with her about what happened, what's happened in the NFL and then kneeling for the national anthem, about the monument removal. So she just has a perspective that is simply uh, impossible to describe how, how um, I mean, you, you can't come from her background, her life. And uh, and not have a perspective worthy of being listened to, respected, appreciated. And so it's Dr. Carol Swain, Vanderbilt professor, who will join us right after our break. She's pretty darn amazing. But getting back to what we're going to talk about with her, in addition to all those things, is kind of the whole notion of where we are in America with race relations, with our, you know, there's so much stress in America, so much strain about race relations. And what can we actually do to make things better? Because really all of us, we don't want to have one race win against the other race. We want to have the unity that I think can only come from the ideas of America. Debbie Georges, America Can We Talk? Don't go away. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informing the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. 
So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers, it's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, I guess we're having trouble on the phone here. So um, I cannot quite reach my email or I'm, I'm trying to text uh, Dr. Swain. So I'm going to go ahead and just start talking about her and we'll see if we get her online. Um, but she was on the show a couple of years ago because she wrote this letter to um, to the newspaper. Or it was a column in the Tennessean. Um, just very graciously, politely explaining why she was had a growing concern over the... Um, uh, growing concern over the, uh, you know, not, she felt not adequate of vetting of the refugees coming to America, concerned about what was going to be happening. Um, and uh, if we didn't do a better job, because she's watching Western Europe, really, really got attacked. Well, since that time, she has, um, she finally left Vanderbilt University. She had many, many protests and uh, just, um, just was unwilling to, uh, capitulate, say I'm sorry, explain herself. She just wasn't going to do any of those things. So uh, she ultimately left um, the, uh, univer- the uh, Vanderbilt University. But um, what happened to her with the Southern Poverty Law Center um, is that she, um, there was going to be testimony. Uh, Richard Cohen, who's president of the Southern Poverty Law Center, was supposed to testify before the, ho- the House Homeland Security Committee um, about threats posed by domestic extremist groups you know, fortunately, um, anyway, it turned out they couldn't have his testimony because of Hurricane Irma. And she wrote a column in the Wall Street Journal again recently saying, 
why are you letting this guy um, come and speak at, at Congress? Why, why should he get to? And so um, she gave a little history, but I want to share with you about Southern Poverty Law Center. It's got such a nice name, like so many things, liberal left wing. It sounds nice. It sounds like, oh, nice Southern gentle people who care about poverty. But it's really a very radical left wing group. And um, among the things that she discovered about them, uh, it, it just I mean, to back up, they were founded in 1971. They had noble goals. But it really just has become an organization that paints with an ugly, broad, you know, broad brush everybody who will not agree with the left wing uh, agenda on things. So they have now listed the Southern Poverty Law Center's listed 917 groups uh, that they are calling hate groups and individuals and groups. They include things like Ayan Hirsi Ali, who is uh, a Somalian-born woman uh, who suffered at the hands of Islamic practices such as female genital mutilation and other horrific things. And so she is trying to raise awareness about that in America. She, uh, Ayan Hirsi speaks about the dangers of radical Islam. She's been painted. She, the one exposing the danger of Islam, has been painted as a hater by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, an organization that's a sponsor of this show, Center for Secure Center for Immigration Studies, that just simply uh, reports immigration data, has a basic viewpoint that we need to uh, that we should limit immigration. We should be careful in America, and it's a it's a policy think tank. They're a hate group because they are saying that we ought to in our immigration policy. Consider whether or not somebody was, um, you know, would add to our culture, add to our economy. Would they be helpful or not? So they're a hate group. Similarly, Center for Security Policy, Frank Gaffney, who's been on this show many times. He'll be on again next week, by the way. Center for um, Security Policy uh, also, you got, okay, also um, was a uh, labeled as a hate group. And now I think we've had, we fixed our uh, phone problem. And so I'd like to welcome the show, Dr. Carol Swain. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. You know what? I um, have given our listeners a great background about you and your um, your just amazing life. And I was just giving a little background about Southern Poverty Law Center. So it's a great time for you to tune in and tell us about your interaction and being smeared by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Well, first, I'm going to try to take credit for being the first person who called them a hate group uh, <laughs> back in 2009. Uh, they had started to target immigration restrictionists, and one of the persons they targeted was CNN, CNN's Lou Dobbs. And I was a regular on the show at the time, and I felt that, um, you know, that they were very, very unfair. But I saw the organization at that time slipping away from its original mission, and they were just going after immigration organizations that hail a restrict, restrictionist position. And so really, the blog I wrote for the Huffington Post, at the time I was writing for the Huffington Post, pretty much accused them of mission creep. Uh, and uh, it said they had a misguided focus. And I pointed out that they had written nothing about the new Black Panther Party intimidating white uh, voters at a Philadelphia polling booth. I wrote that op-ed piece in September 2009, by October 2009, maybe about six weeks later, my picture was on the front page of my uh, hometown newspaper, which is the state newspaper, uh, and with an article that I was uh, slammed by um, 
you know, by this organization. And there was a quote from Mark Potos that called me an apologist for white supremacy. And then the next year they put me in Hate Watch for the same film I reviewed. Mm-hmm. It was a film I reviewed and gave it a positive review for classroom use that was called A Conversation About Race. They said the filmmaker and the film was racist. I'll just jump in and say, you know, this is what you're describing for for our listeners. This is uh, what we're talking about with with Dr. Carol Swain. The Wall Street Journal has her column from what is called What is Like to be Smeared by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And if you go to the AmericaCanWeTalk.org website, we have this link up as well. It'll be up on our Facebook page by tomorrow morning. So, um, yeah, so I I love your recounting this. uh, And I actually love that you ended up your line from your blog post in September 2009 on Huffington Post, end up with, rather than monitoring hate groups, the Southern Poverty Law Center has become one. I know that's what you're just alluding to, but that was a great line. And now I feel that they've become a terrorist organization because they try to destroy uh, individuals by their own admission. And when you think about what happened to me, you know, like 2009, I was not as visible as I am now. And so I, here I am, a professor, just trying to make a living. I write this blog, you know, with good intent, and all of a sudden, they labeled me as an apologist for white supremacy. It affected um, my career, and from that point on, every time the newspaper wrote an article about me, they called me the controversial Carol Swain. Yep. Yep. And, you know, this is so effective. The Southern Poverty Law Center does this. I was mentioning before you came on the various amazing people that they have included in this broad category of of haters or part of a hate group. Like like a Jan Hersey Ali. I mean, my gosh, the woman's like, you know, dedicating her life to try to help other women and people around the world. And but it does. I mean, unless you're a strong person like you, I could imagine it does silence people. Well, I heard something else. Um, They did that to me, even though I had published two books on white nationalism. And, um, I'm, you know, I'm the expert on the difference between uh, white supremacy, the new white nationalism, and just plain old conservatism. They did that to me, even though I had two Cambridge Press, Cambridge University Press books on that topic, and that was the number one university press in America. Well, I was exa- you're getting right to the topics I wanted to get to, Dr. Swain. Um, one was about you have made this distinction between white nationalism, which is a term that you, uh, in fact, your book, wasn't it like 2002 your book came out? 2002, it was titled The New White Nationalism in America. It's challenged integration. And at that time, I warned about a new kind of white nationalism that was not the KKK or the neo-Nazis or some of the more extreme groups that these were a well-educated whites who were kind of fed up with uh, the, the politics, and they felt that white people were being discriminated against, that white people need to organize, that white people need spokesperson, that white people needed to be able to celebrate their own heritage and to have racial pride. But they were not espousing violence, nor were they using racial epithets, some of them were separatists, but they were not the KKK. They were most, for the most part, they were not white supremacists. They were not saying that whites were better than others. They were saying that whites uh, should have the same rights as other groups. Well, Dr. And I thought that was new, and I thought that it would resonate with a lot of young people, and that if we did not move away from identity politics, it would spread. 
I love your point about not about you know trying to move away from identity politics. Need to do that. Also, I was going to say you wrote this book in two thousand two about white nationalism, and I, I love that you're making the distinction. And I, I can I can completely understand why what you're saying. But if that was you were observing this and wrote about it in two thousand two, then Donald Trump was not actually the source of this white nationalism. Of course, absolutely not. And <clears throat> and you know I have argued in many places that. The new white, the people who supported Donald Trump, I think they were just everyday people that, uh, as far as the whites, that for the first time there was a candidate who did not treat them with contempt. And I think that he uh, made people feel like he cared about people like them. And I'm talking about, you know, the hardworking Americans that have been the backbone of this country. They felt like he cared about people like them. He didn't hold certainly white people in contempt. And he suddenly reached out to minorities, and during his inauguration address, he uh, talked about, uh, you know, just the American ideal. He appealed to patriotism. He sure did. i got to jump in. we got to jump to a commercial break. Can you hold on during the break? We'll be right back, folks. Come back. America, can we talk? America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. 
Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. And if you're uh, with us before the break, you know, we're speaking with Dr. Carol Swain, who's led the most amazing life. I urge you to uh, read about her online. And Dr. Swain, I wanted to, you wrote this book in 2002 that referred to white nationalism. And so it was not white supremacy. It wasn't KKK. It was just a sense within America that the, um, the, there was a growth of thinking among some white Americans that they were marginalized and need and, and not didn't think America was being fair to to them. So what were the solutions you proposed in that book to 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 cut off that trend or to make things better? Well, I have a whole chapter uh, at the end um, that talks about policy recommendations and half of the recommendations are for America as a whole and the other half are for black uh, leaders. And, uh, you know, that kind of threw people off that in a book about white nationalism, I talked about what black people needed to do. And in part of my the point that I made is that some of the actions that black leaders take contribute to the growth of white nationalism. It provides the ammunition. And so I don't want to go over all, all of the things I recommended. There were quite a few recommendations, but one was that we have uh, – uh, you know, that we have free speech in the sense that some of the uh, issues that people are raising are really legitimate issues. They have grievances. Uh, those voices need to be heard and debated in mainstream forms. And so instead of shutting people down, we need a dialogue that addresses legitimate grievances. And some of the grievances that people had when I did my research uh, they were concerned about uh, liberal immigration policies. They were concerned about uh, uh, racial preferences <clears throat> that, that, you know, that disadvantage whites, uh, minority crime, globalization and loss of jobs, and, uh, and a few other things. And what I saw happening was that they were using the language of identity politics and multiculturalism they were using that language of the of the political left and applying it to white people, and it works just as well. I mean, no one can logically argue that every group has an interest 
that every group should be able to celebrate their group pride and then say, uh, except white. It's either every group, you know, or it's no group. And so following the path of identity politics, of course you're going to get people thinking in terms of white interests and white identity uh, and, and white leaders because that's the direction of the whole country. You can't say everyone else can play, but not white people, and not expect to get the results that we're getting. I love that point. One last question I want to ask you about. There's a movement I talked about earlier in the show tonight, but a movement within the NFL uh, began by Colin Kaepernick, who wouldn't uh, stand up for the national anthem because in protest over uh, what he says is a lack of social justice in America. How effective do you think that NFL protest is? Is it a wise thing for them to call attention to issues? It's disastrous, and it's like some of the other things that uh, it's ridiculous. It's like in my mind, complaining about uh, the cotton ball decoration. Uh, in the national, in the anthem, there is a clause that many people uh, feel, you know, that's racist, that the clause is one that we don't hear. And it has to do with uh, the slave and the heroin. And apparently there were some, um, uh, I guess, some uh, slaves, I believe they were British slaves, and some mercenaries that were paid to fight on behalf of the British. And that clause referred to them. It did not refer to American slaves. Uh, but that is something that uh, some people are aware of, but I bet you the majority of people who are refusing uh, to stand for the anthem, I bet the majority don't even know about the clause. Okay, I did not know about that clause. Honestly, I'm going to go home. Obviously, it's not in the first verse, but uh, I will go home and read um, that later. And, you know, I want to, um, Dr. Carol Swain, I just honestly, I read um, a lot about you, and I follow you and your work, and I am I did want to give you a chance, if you want to tell our listeners quickly, I know uh, about your um, Be the People TV. Do you want to quick tell our listeners about that? Yes, I have a, a blog page called Be the People, Be, instead of We the People, Be the People TV.com. And I post uh, on that blog on a regular basis. And I'm on Facebook as Professor Prof. Carolyn Swain. I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. And I would really appreciate, you know, you following me. Uh, and I try to respond to as many people as possible. My email is carolynswain at gmail.com. Dr. Swain, thank you so very much. It was great talking with you tonight. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, folks, that was uh, honestly, I'm, as I mentioned to you before the break, I'm uh, so impressed with this woman who came from her background. And, you know, what's really wonderful is I think that with respect to race relation challenges in America, it's so easy to think, well, everybody, uh, if you're, you're going to join your hyphenated group, and so you're going to have your uh, African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans or Latina or Latino-Americans, however you want to, whatever term you want to use, Asian-Americans, But really, as I say in the show so often, and the reason I do this show is because the only way to work toward harmony in America, the only way to solve tensions between us is to drop the notion of hyphenated identity and just simply be Americans. And I really respect Dr. Swain because she came from the background I described earlier to being a Yale law professor to being a she's you know she's a defender really of many of the of conservative views um and she but she speaks honestly she doesn't just try to gloss over the challenges we do have i mean her book is again getting attention now her book from 2002 because she was really observing she used the term white nationalism 
But all she was really talking about was the notion that there's going to be a backlash um, on behalf of many Americans if all we are, if our political conversations are all centered around hyphenated identity groups and the notion that, well, who's, you know, who's talking about, you know, and it's not really so much myself, but my children, my, my children's future, my grandchildren's, that the notion that, that unless we stop the emphasis on the hyphenated identity, you know, we, we can't get past the competition between hyphenated groups to getting to solutions that work for everyone. So she wrote that book about white nationalism. She's written numerous other ones. She's really, uh, you know, and she speaks from the heart. And she has, uh, on many occasions, I didn't get the chance to ask her tonight, but I know she has spoken uh, openly, eloquently, regularly about the notion that we cannot continue this destruction of America's history by destroying our monuments. I mean, the idea that she would talk about that, this is something that, you know, we have conservatives saying that, of course. Um, but to have Dr. Carol Swain, a black, intellectual a uh, true you know american dream a demonstration of what the american dream really is and must be i mean to have that woman uh be right be writing those things and being the spokesperson for those things is just is just incredible and since she made reference to the cotton ball stories i want to um uh, the cotton stories i want to talk about that too in the, the little remaining time we have in this first hour of the show i'm gonna guess you all saw that there was a um in Texas, actually, a young woman who went to Hobby Lobby and um, saw a display. You know, Hobby Lobby, they put up displays of, you know, this kind of, their decoration suggestions. You go in there and you might say, oh, that looks nice. You buy all the parts that to make that little decoration. Well, in this Hobby Lobby, someone had made a decoration that included um, stalks of cotton ball. So you the stalk, the thing that grows on, and then uh, a cotton ball. So how, if you've seen cotton grow, um, so it was just using the whiteness of the cotton contrasted with the darkness of the stick and it was in a flower vase so she took a picture of it this young woman took a picture um of this cotton um decoration and and this young woman uh, named danielle Ryder, and she put up on facebook this decor is wrong on so many levels there's nothing decorative about raw cotton a commodity which was gained at the expense of african-american slaves a little sensitivity goes a long way please remove this and she put quotes around decor and the reason, I mean, it's kind of, it's a little bit similar <laughs> to the NFL players. This young woman just, I mean, she created a firestorm. She put that out on Twitter. She put it on her Facebook page. And it was, the comments, she got were in the hundreds and hundreds of comments by people saying, are you kidding me? You are complaining about a decoration of cotton. And, you know, this is, at, you know, they... Um, I mean, I'm going to assume it was heartfelt. She wasn't put up to it and paid to do it. There was a heartfelt reaction. But this is part I'm talking about when you've had so much in the political conversation in America for decades now, driving home and inspiring Americans, especially African-Americans, black Americans, to feel like victims, to convince them that they live in a society just rampant with um, hatred and, and dislike for people who don't look like you. So you see something like that to be triggered by a cotton ball decoration. And so she created a firestorm. I would say the, the comments, at least, that I was able to send her Facebook page, uh, you know, ran, you know, 50 to 1 saying, oh, come on, get serious. But it's, it spawned a lot of commentary. And I do think in some way the commentary is healthy because what you're seeing in this young woman is the outcome of the political 
social messaging of the American left for decades and decades and decades, which is please believe you are a victim. Please do not. Please think that all everyone in America who doesn't look like you is racist. Please accept that this is a country filled with racism, and so you got to look for symbols of it and take a simple decoration in a in a um, you know Hobby Lobby store and try to create a national firestorm. I mean, in in many ways, she is a victim. This young woman who did this, she's a victim. She's just, it's like I mean, this is a, an unkind term, but like Lenin's useful idiots, people you can just manipulate and move around and work them into a lather over nothing. Over nothing, a decoration on a similar vein, similar kind of story. But there is a college president, um, and I hadn't heard this uh, college before. It's a smaller school, Lipscomb, L-I-P-S-C-O-M-B, Lipscomb University. But the college president, in an effort toward outreach, was inviting different groups of students to his home for dinner. He and his wife would have a group of students for dinner. So they recently had a group of students. They had, um, I don't know if it was the leader of the black student groups on campus or just a, a, I don't know how he, you know, arrived at the invitation list. But he had a a number of black students in their home for dinner and they, um, they had his decorations on the table again the evil cotton ball. Some kind of decoration his wife probably, she probably saw it at Hobby Lobby and just went home and replicated it. Who knows? But anyway, she made the decoration. Again, hysteria out, outburst. I mean, just, you would think, uh, anyway, hysteria outburst. These students, uh, they were they were just, they were numbed with shock and fear and outrage and, and, and they posted on Twitter and Facebook, every place I could think how horrible this was. This professor invited black students over and had cotton ball decoration on the table. And folks, I'm telling you, America is much better than this. America is filled with good, loving people, including this college professor who was trying to do a nice thing and ended up the, the recipient of a lot of hate. We come back. We're going to talk a little more about this right after the break. Do not go away. 